0: How's everybody doing this morning? i tell you what, I live in Houston, and it was 100, and index was like 114. That's the power coming from my lungs, just in case you <laughs> wonder. They, I've been known to be a powerful speaker, and sometimes, without even trying, it comes through. <laughs> um, and I've been freezing since I've been here. Yesterday was the only day that was halfway warm. I almost bought a long sleeve shirt yesterday and I'm oh no, it'll be warm again. And I woke up this morning and thought I should have bought the long sleeve shirt. So, all right, so I, before I get going, I want to, I, as uh, Eddie mentioned, I'm a part of the board that helps uh, John and Chris with, you know, church decisions. And I live in Houston and the other. Uh, board member is Greg Harper. He lives over in Signal Hill. and um, I've been a longtime friend of John and Chris. I was thinking today, the way I have, I've been knowing some of my friends so long, the only way I can remember how long I've been knowing them is by the age of their kids. <laughs> so I was thinking this morning, McKenna, how old are you? 25. 25. So I've been knowing John and Chris about 28 years. Because, uh, you, you know, before McKenna was born, and um, actually they were married. I, I met John at an uh, athletes conference, and he was jogging. And back then, he was in shape, he looked good. <laughs> <laughs> he used to be a little chubbier, and somehow he uh, he started doing that intermittent fasting, and he looks better now. But they're on a six-week sabbatical. Now what that means is, and, and put it in perspective, the church I go to in Houston, our pastors on a three-month sabbatical. I always tell people, probably I used to think, and just my opinion, and um, that pastoring and being the president are the two hardest jobs you could do. I mean, cause you are never gonna have everybody happy, right? <laughs> and so so John has not only been pastoring He's been bi-vocational, so he also works business, too, and so he called me and said, what do you think about me taking six weeks off? I took a three-month sabbatical for a different reason. I took it because uh, my family life needed to be readjusted, and um, I tell you what, it was probably the best thing for me. I made a decision to lay on the operating table, and whatever God wanted to work out in my life, go for it, and he was digging deep. And um, I had no other distractions, nothing. Other than my family, I didn't do anything else. We went and visited churches, took it easy, you know, um, so forth and so on. So they're going to be taking a six-week sabbatical. So I'm the substitute teacher for today. <laughs> I have instructed Eddie, if anybody gets out of line. He used to be a professional leg breaker. <laughs> And 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 I've instructed him to take care of business. All right? So this morning, I don't speak a lot. I only speak for my friends. And it's rare I even speak for them. I try to talk them out of it. But actually, when I was in ministry, which I was in for about, I guess, 18 or 19 years, probably my greatest strength was public speaking. My second one was probably uh, discipleship. I had a real discipline to meet with guys every week. And they would like it so much, they would be mad at me if I was either late or didn't show. Because they liked it so much. Because I would, I always had, I was t- telling Luke, the, uh, just earlier, him and McKenna, I said, look, it doesn't matter how many people are in a meeting room, two or 2,000, I go for broke. You know, some guys, you, they walk in the room like, mm, a lot of empty seats. So they dove it down, right? I made a rule. I used to speak a lot in Oregon when I was in campus ministry. I'd go to some, some youth pastor say, hey, because I was a basketball player, come and speak to our youth. And I'd get there and it's like five kids in a big gym. And I could just, you know, kind of, well, you know, God is good and blah, blah, blah. I, I made it a point. I would stand up on cheers. I would have booming voice. I would be sweating and preaching just like I was preaching at 5,000. And so I think there's such an important thing you need to get today, okay, that I'm not going to shortchange you. I'm going to give you the best I got. I don't do it a lot. Like I say, I only do it for friends. But, but, but certain messages are things that are just a part of my fabric over the, all the years of ministry. And one of them is my love for the church. And I, let, let me say this up front: I have a better excuse than 99.9 percent of the people in the world to not go to church. Now you say, "Oh, what's your story, dude?" <laughs> I was a part of an organization, and I was right in the inner working of all the chaos. I was part of the cleanup team. I had the dossiers. I could have reported people to uh, government organizations and they could have gotten in trouble except for the organization got it right. Pretty much went through a divorce. Part of it probably was the influence of all the garbage that my ex-wife saw. I've probably been in more church services than the oldest Christian in this room because in the summertime I would go do youth camps and I would speak twice a day and I would do eight weeks worth of youth camps so think how many services I've been to I went to church every Sunday because I was in ministry except for when I maybe was on vacation man I got every excuse in the world I could say I don't need to go to church Do you realize, I I, I transitioned out of ministry in 2007, and I bet you, other than a vacation, I may have missed 10 church services since I've been out of ministry, 16 years. I bet I I haven't missed more than 10, because I think it's important to be a part of church. The title of my message today is Get Connected. I'm a big Southwest Airlines fan. That's pretty much what I take. Uh, if I'm going somewhere, unless Southwest doesn't go there, I just paid a little extra. Because really, when I pay 50 bucks more for a Southwest ticket, I'm really just paying for my two bags there and back. Because if I take another airline, I got to pay for the bags there and back. And so every time I get on, the first thing I do, how many of y'all take Southwest Airlines? OK. First thing you do is you put on that Wi-Fi, don't you? And you get what? Huh? It says Southwest Airlines Get Connected, and they keep expanding it. Now you can text on there. So I get on there and I tell my wife she don't use WhatsApp that much. I say, Hey, get on WhatsApp, because I don't. I'm not an iPhone person. That just not who I am. I'm I'm in my right mind and. I, I don't want anybody owning me, <laughs> but but you can watch movies, you can stream TV, you can uh, be online, you can work. One day I got to watch, uh, pay the eight bucks for the internet service and I did some work online, but it's getting connected. Now, what I did see is three years ago when COVID hit and the pandemic was severe and churches couldn't, people had to be within you know six feet apart that church began to be online now there's always been Christians who quote unquote their pastor was on tv there's a lot of Christians who Joel Osteen's their pastor don't live in Houston a lot of Christians who T.D. Jake's their pastor they don't live in Dallas so it's not a new phenomenon that people now stream or call somebody a pastor and they ain't got nothing to do with it. They ain't never shook their hand. Ain't never gave them a hug. Don't even know what they smell like. <laughs> and the thing I start thinking is it seems like Christians now are, are tactfully now wanting to stay at home and stream now. And it was ironic to me how high school kids during the pandemic were so distraught, loneliness and depression because of one thing, they couldn't go to school. And they weren't weren't desperately wanting to learn. Come on, you know that. Kids ain't going to, now. all your kids going to high school thinking school first. Yeah, that's right. I love school. I liked it academically and I liked it socially. I very rarely miss school. I was such a kind of guy that on senior skip day, I was awkwardly skipping. Like, my other classmates, dude, I'm out of here, you know? And I was like, I might miss something. I'm talking academically. <laughs> and it just, it, it just throws me off that I, I, get, I get online. Um, I went on vacation to Mexico with some friends, and when we got home, we flew home on a Saturday, and uh, my friend got home and sent me a text, hey, man, positive COVID, because he had gotten sick the last two days of the trip, and the three of us flew back through Houston, and they flew to Nashville, him and his wife, so I'm sitting right across from him and his wife's sitting right across from him as well. And she in the same room, same bed, everything. So I'm thinking I gave him a good hug before we left. Surely I could have COVID. So you know what I did? Thanks to uh, COVID pandemic, church stream online, on TV. So I sat at home that Sunday and watched, streamed, and watched online. But it was because I didn't want to go to church until I knew I'd taken a test and I didn't have COVID. But I was just thinking, like, every week, I might as well do this. This is kind of comfortable. And you know how it is. I work from home three days a week. Any of y'all work from home? Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but I get up pretty much in my drawers, (laughs) make a cup of coffee. Sometimes it's half a day I ain't brushed my teeth yet. (laughs) Now, our team calls. We don't do video teams. I would be in trouble otherwise. (laughs) We do, we do, because I'm always presenting stuff. I do it with project managers. I'm a a construction estimator. So I just showing stuff on screen. Here's how I came up with this, blah, blah, blah. So so the thing is, is that streaming is a it's, it's, it's a good thing, right? It's comfortable. Working from home, I like it. I get online. But I just think there's something about church that requires physical participation. Put on, put on that next slide for me. It's Hebrews chapter 10, 23. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another toward loving good deeds. Listen to this not giving up meeting together. Not giving up meeting together. Not giving up meeting together. Now, they were being persecuted. It was hostility. They they believed this was to an Italian church, and so much so that you got a Caesar who could come in, shut it down, kind of like China is now. And he's saying, look, even in the midst of danger, even in the midst of them taking possessions from you, don't stop meeting together, and guess what happens next? As some are in the habit of doing, some of them had already developed a habit. I went online. Remember, some of you are old enough to remember. They used to say it took 19 days to develop a habit. How many y'all remember that? Look, you know, 19 days. They actually did a uh, 96 people, 12 week survey. You know how many days it takes to develop a habit? 66 days. And I thought, hmm, how many days does it take to break a habit? Depending on the habit, it could take anywhere from 18 to 254 days. The positive is if you you create a habit of being in church and making it a priority, and I get it, man. My kids, I have four kids. uh, The three younger ones were in AAU. And you know what? Most of these sports teams, they don't care anything about church. Let's be honest. And I feel sorry for some of the parents, including myself, because you could have took all that money you spent on AAU, put it in an IRA or some kind of investment thing, and when no kids got out of co- a high school, they'd have enough money to get a scholarship to college. Is it coming on? Oh, is it? See, I showed you I didn't speak that much. Okay. Eddie told me it was okay. <laughs> he did it on purpose, didn't he? Okay. Hey, Eddie, I thought you had me covered, man. Now I'm really going to ramp it up. <laughs> no. So, and, and again, you don't have to have worry about me speaking too long because I'm, I'm older than I look. I'm 59 years old. So that means I obviously watch all those enlarged prostate commercials. And uh, I- I'm not going to be up here so long because I'm sure I'm going to have to go to the bathroom at some point. People got all kinds of habits they got, don't they? You know what I realized? Over the years, I made church a habit. Come on now. Some of you made church a habit. And you feel awkward sometimes because you meet so many cr- Christians. It's not a habit; Amen. it's an optional choice. It's part of the buffet opportunity with God, and if you choose to utilize it, well, okay. Somehow, I saw it as a priority, and I believe God in His Word communicates that Psalm ninety-two. It's the Psalm; it's really a song, and it says, "For the Sabbath." As I read that, I began to think, wait a minute. Did they even have problems with people not wanting to come to the temple, the house of God, even in ancient Israel? So much so that they had to write a song to give them a hint. (laughs) I'm not going to read it all, but it's it's real beautiful. It starts with, it's good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. And I'm going to drop down to, I believe, the most important part. He says, verse 12, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Plant it. Everybody say plant it. Everybody say plant it. Plant it in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God they will still bear fruit in old old age, and they'll stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He's my rock, and there's no wickedness in him. I'm so glad the psalmist used an inanimate object versus saying Abraham, because you know what we're going to think? Oh, Abraham was blessed. We got some of the prosperity stuff. Oh, he had a all kind of men, servants, and maid servants. He had all kind of cattle. Da, 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 da. I'm glad he didn't use Solomon, who had so much. He had so much gold that silver was like dust. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I'm glad he didn't use Solomon. He used a tree, and he said this healthy tree. The reason so healthy, it's planted, it's rooted, and I wonder why so many Christians go in and out, up and down, because they never get connected, they never plant themselves in a church, and they never get the relationships they need to grow in God. Turn your neighbor and say, I know he's not talking to you. This concept of the house of God, the concept of the house of God didn't start here. It actually was in a prophetic or a futuristic dream that Jacob had. Jacob, the, the father of faith is Abraham. He had a son Isaac and Isaac had two boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is, is a con guy. He's shady as heck. His name Jacob means deceiver. So be careful about naming your kid Jacob. <laughs> and then wondering why he'd be so shady. <laughs> so Jacob goes to his dad, about to die, cons his dad, out of his brother's birthright. The birthright was the older son got the double portion. So his dad dies. His brother Esau's ticked at him. So he's like, I'm gone. And he knew if he wanted a wife, he had to do like his dad did, Isaac, go back to the land and get one of the wives from his tribe. So on his way back, he has an encounter with God. And it's interesting because it says he's in his dream and there's, there's angels ascending and descending. And the Lord appears to him and has a conversation with him. And he says this. When he woke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There's none other than the house. It's, it's, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Isn't that Interesting. The house of God and the gate into heaven, kind of some correlation. Angels going up and down. And his, his dream interpretation is the house of God. When he gets done, he calls this place Bethel. And he calls it the house of God. And he makes a promise, a vow to God. He said, God, if you take care of me, I go get a wife and I get back home, I'll serve you. And he said, if I do... I put a rock here, called the house of God, and he said, I'll give you a tithe. I think it's just interesting. Moses was the one who brought all the laws, but somehow this guy, this shady guy, matter of fact, dude who really wasn't that close to God. But God was drawing him to him, sees his vision, the house of God, the importance of it, and already has seen. He saw his, he heard about his granddad giving the tithe to Melchizedek I'm sure his dad Isaac gave a tithe to God and he realized that hey part of my covenant my relationship with God is not only prioritizing his house but giving to him now before I spend too much time convincing you how much you need to be in the house of God I got to be honest with you I got to tell you the small print you know how people tell you that last they wait till they talk to you into being a Christian and say by the way <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Remember being in high school, you guys. Mostly for you guys. Not the women. I guess maybe women might happen, but for guys, this was the notorious "Don't do it, dude." Some girl comes up to you and say, "My my name my name is Daryl, but in my high school, among my black friends, it was Daryl." <laughs> Alicia says she like you okay and she goes I said so what? what's Alicia like oh she's got a great personality <laughs> Alicia had a great personality right now, now, most of you men in here, be honest, what was that a, a flag for? Huh? <laughs> hey, 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 look, I'm just going to tell you up front. The church will always be the church, the, the, the group with the nice personality. We're not going to be that gorgeous lady. We're not going to be the voluptuous one. The church ain't never going to be that. If you sign it up for this thinking it's going to be the school, cool squad, you know, I guess it's, uh, it's popular here in Orange County. I heard uh, uh, Georgia talking about it, and then Dan was talking about it. Um, it's friends group? Or friends? Like some? No, no, no. A friend. What was that thing you were talking about, Dan, about friends? It's a friend's uh, on the Internet where you text and or, – or, Chat group, huh? Yeah, a friend's group chat. Is that popular here down here? I'm sure if it is, that means you want to be in that right one, right? You don't want to be in the one with the kind of, you know, people like this. Put up that next slide. (laughs) There's dudes in the church like Uncle Rico. Put up the next slide. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, Eddie. I, I, I wasn't implying you. It wasn't some Freudian slip or anything like that. Come on now. We all got relatives, don't we? When I was growing up, my mom's dad was a guy who left Louisiana, moved to Detroit, worked in the auto industry, never went to school or anything like that. He was just fortunate. Him and his brother went up there, got good jobs. He wanted to send my mom to college, and none of his kids went. Okay? But my dad grew up on a sharecropper's farm, a.k.a. former plantation. When he was 13... 12, 13 years old, him and his older sister used to pick cotton. So instead of going to school, he said they would leave in the morning, get out there, pick cotton till lunch, run home, eat quick, get back, and pick cotton till sundown, and give 15 bucks a week, by the way. Give 13 to his mom, and I guess he, Clarksdale, Mississippi, he would go to town. I don't know what the town was. Maybe it was the actual Clarksdale, but. That's what, he, that's what he came out of. His mom, I never met his mom, my grandmother on my father's side, and she probably had eight kids. And those cousins would come to Milwaukee periodically. Some of them from Chicago. Let me give you a few of their names. Bo, T, Sister, Brother. That was their nicknames. So when I had to address them, I'd be like Uncle Brother, <laughs> Uncle Sister, I mean Aunt Sister. That was their that was their nickname, and my dad my dad's nickname was Jick. So they could, you would never hear that name around my house until his relatives come and like Jick, and then they you know. So these relatives were different than my mom's relatives. We have family get-togethers, a barbecue. My mom was the cook of the family; she was the matriarch. So people always come up my house to eat. My dad's relatives when they would come. Man, Wild Hours Rose. How many of y'all know what that is? It's like the cheapest of alcohol you could get. Gin, vodka. They would start out kind of cordial, laughing, ha, ha, ha. And before you knew it, boy, they would be in there swinging at each other. F you, blah, blah, blah. I had cousins. One of my cousins took an a, 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 a ice pick and stabbed my other cousin 19 times because she wouldn't give him 38 bucks to take a bus to Cleveland. I got a cousin that my dad will never let him know where we live. Because he'd rip us off. He was in and out of juvenile, then he went to prison and barely was, I mean, it was just messy. And every once in a while I'd be with some friends or somebody and they'd be like, hey, are you related to so-and-so? You know? And finally, one of my cousins, and his family was wild, but he turned out to be a good guy. He loves God, serving God now. He went to school with one of my junior high school friends, and his name was Cleophas. I'm not lying. it's Cleophas. And uh, one of my friends said, hey, this dude Cleophas say he your cousin. And of my cousins like that, he was the first one. Oh, yeah, 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 that's he's on my dad's side. But we all got some family members that be acting a fool, misrepresenting sometimes the family. That's church, man. Think about it. Jim Baker, Jim Swagger. We can go further back than that. We can go to Crusades where they went out and they, they, they murdered people in the name of Jesus. And we want to be close to home. The biggest slave trade, European slave trade, was in the U.S. In the name of Christianity, we're going to evangelize these Africans. Blemish. Now, I'm not saying there ain't no good dudes who was a part of Christianity. Well, there's always Billy Graham. Whether you believe it in his politics, Jimmy Carter was a, a good Christian man. A lot of these guys talk it. He actually was. He spent the rest of his life doing what? Habitat for Humanity. Helping people who couldn't afford houses, and we always can always honor Mother Teresa. We got a few shining stars, but you know, every time something happens, it's a blemish. It makes you think like, dang, i gonna got to go there again. i got to associate, my, tell my co-workers, yeah, I'm a Christian, and it's funny because they're always looking for blotches on the Christianity, but it don't seem like they do that with other stuff, right? I'm not going to sell you that church is French fries. I put in my note, it's broccoli. And then I changed it and wrote out beets. <laughs> you need it. Matter of fact, you need it so much that they're selling it now in powder so it can help your uh, circulation and blood pressure. Church ain't never going to be the Ferrari. Porsche. It's just a good Honda. Honda. It ain't the Air Jordans more like the Chuck Taylors. Now, I'm going to give you three things to consider in regards to why I think it's important in the life of a believer. First one is it's a place of spiritual growth. All of society is okay with you going and learning and developing certain skills to function in life. Well, technically, the Bible says when you become a Christian, you get born again. So you're a kid all over again. And you need the skills to live for God and represent Him in the earth. Church should be a place where you learn, pray, worship, relate. It's a place of growth. We never assume that somebody can can, uh, learn on their own. We don't ever take a kid, four or five years old, and say, Here's a book, read it. We teach them, we help them develop the skills. The church, part of its job is to take the young and help them grow. Here's a quick, good question. Do you need to go to church? Put that question up there, to grow spiritually. It's a tricky question. Yes and no. You can read your Bible on your own. Matter of fact, you should. Some Christians stop going because they, ah, I'm not getting much out of the messages. But there's a place where somebody comes, I don't care what John's talk on, because they new in this. Everything's new to them, and they learn it every time they come in the door. Some of you might have heard this stuff. Get connected to Charles, oh, man, I heard this already. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Physically, it's easy to measure our growth, isn't it? Especially for us folks over 40, right? Because most of our growth is like this. It's easy to measure, though, huh? You go back, I go to this deal. When I was in high school, 32 waist. Then as I got more mature, I was 34, you know, like out of college. I gained weight. I weighed 180. And then all of a sudden, man, I went in there and trying to put that 34 on. And the truth is now that's in style, right, the tight pants. <laughs> but truth be known, it's easy to measure that. I don't have to theoretically or spiritually detect, like, man, do I discern I'm gaining weight? No, I just look in a mirror and look. I gained some weight. How about spiritually? How do you measure that? How can you tell whether you're spiritually growing or not? Look at this, Ephesians 4. It says, so he gave himself, Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the saints for work of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Every parent in this room, one of your goals, one of your jobs, one of your objectives is what with your kids? That they would mature. Now, there's an occasional parent who wants to keep that baby. They want that kid. That, that they want adults to act like kids and always be around the house, and instead of kicking them out and letting them grow up, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, and will no longer be infants, tossed to and fro. You know that, man. I can't tell you when I was a young Christian. This guy, I, I I lived in Milwaukee and I went to school at Oregon State. So in the summer I would go home, and I had a church I was really close to because. one of the uh, uh, associate pastors um, went to high school with my brother and he lived up the street so I I spent a lot of quality time with these guys and um, one time he baited me and I bit and I was embarrassed later he said you know the scripture the Lord helped those who helped themselves right you know that scripture right huh how many of y'all know that scripture there ain't no scripture. <laughs> no, I thought it was too. And he said, no, bro, that ain't in the Bible. That's just a good saying. And I, but they taught me like, hey, when you're young, you, you, get, you can get side swiped anytime. I remember one time being on the bus coming home from work, and dude was playing three-card Molly. Well, you got cards, and one of them's red, and two are black, and he's flipping them. And I'm watching him kill guys, and some dudes are winning. And, and, then, and then I'm like, Pff. so I had a little cash in my pocket, maybe 10 or 20 bucks. Dude flipped it. He pulled up one card, said, tell me what a black card is. And I'm like, oh, this is easy money. I put that 10 on the table. Pop! It was red. And he took my 10, and I'm like, I'm done with that. (laughs) You ain't got to worry about me gambling no more. I did win a bet the other day. We really didn't get paid. Dan and I played David over here and John in golf. We won, and it was supposed to be what, buy dinner? And Dan bought the dinner, and we won. I'm like, how's that working, man? So be careful when you play with John Blue. That's the moral of the story. I'm afraid that some Christians think they're so mature they really don't need church. Let me give you a tip. It says that we're helping infants to become mature. I would almost argue with you, if you think you're too mature to come to church, you may not be as mature as you really are. Because if you was that mature, you'd understand you need to come to church to help young people who just got, came to God, who just came to know the Lord, who are naive in their faith to become mature. Amen. It's a cycle of life, right? We all like to think we're more spiritual than we really are. Come on, let's be honest more godly, more holy. And occasionally we'll be humble about saying, I'm not, I'm not as big a giver as I should be. <laughs> the truth is we always think we're better parents, better students, better friends. Who measures all these things? I think we need to be in relationship to really see it. Point number two. So point number one was this place of spiritual growth. Point number two, place of authentic relationships. You know, I used to hear, probably about 15 years ago, I used to hear about people talking about that there were more authentic relationships in the bar than it was at church. And you know why, right? Dude, get a little sippy sippy in him. He's just letting it all out, huh? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? He ain't no inhibitions. He's feeling free. His wife ain't there. <laughs> so there is some truth to that authenticity. And, you know, authenticity is a big thing in our culture, especially among young people, right? Keeping it in 100, right? Isn't that the new thing? Ephesians 4.15 says it like this. So we've got all these Christians who got the gift of encouragement. I wonder how many of us have this gift. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Everybody say, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Turn to your neighbor and say, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. See, you're saying it kind of soft because you got that encouragement gift, right? You don't want to ever tell nobody some truth, do you? Truth hurts sometimes, right? Think about it. You you think you're looking good, right? You're at work. Or say I'm getting ready to go with Dan. We're going to dinner, and I show up, and I'm thinking, yeah, okay, my God Dan, I made sure I cleaned up and was looking okay, and the first thing he says to me is like, y'all yeah, know what that signal is, right? Y'all yeah, know what that signal is? That means you got something in your nose is dangling, and that ain't a cute look. <laughs> Forget a date, just any time. But you know what? That truth helped me, didn't it? Now I don't go in a restaurant everybody's kind of, <laughs> you know, because that's what people do. They don't want to tell you the truth. They just look away. They figure if they keep looking away, it'll go away, right? And that's not true. I was thinking of this concept of authenticity. And I, so I went to the most uh, resourceful source I could find. On authenticity. Go to that next slide. It's the Urban Dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) Now, get this. I'm tracking with some of this. The Urban Dictionary says, A, the daily intentional effort to grow and maintain healthy relationships with others. That's pretty good. Being dedicated to a lifestyle of integrity. Oh my gosh. Three, honest effort, no malicious motives. You can jive with that, right? B, to keep yourself real and true, to be honest, to stick to the way you are, no matter what anyone else says. Now, this can get tricky. Third, letter C, to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, a.k.a. keep it real. Be honest with yourself as well as others. Now, they've graduated keeping it 100 to keeping it 1,000 now. I don't know how you can go from 100 to 1,000, and I don't know how much that makes it stronger. Maybe it's 10 times stronger. Now, the problem I have with letter B is that now authenticity is a word for I need to be true to myself, and because I'm not happy, I can divorce you. Authentic self, I can change and be weird, and you got to accept me. See, there's a a place of normalcy that every human being has to participate to function and live in the human race. I'm okay with you being authentic, but the question is, is your authenticity in line with who God says and believes you are? That's the real question. Now, this is what I always used to tell uh, folks. Look, Look at these things, these three aspects of what I believe who you are. Who you are, at least for now, I'm not saying it can't change, represents three things. Who you think you are, who do you think you are. Secondly, who you think others think you are. And then thirdly, who others think you are. I'm going to give you a real life example. For the majority of my life, I thought I was pretty cool. Matter of fact, in high school, I thought I was real cool. No, I'm serious. I'm tall. I'm dark. I'm handsome. I had a 3.7 out of 4.0 GPA. I was rated a top 50 high school basketball player in 1981. I had 50 scholarship offers. Hey man. Hey. Girl. <laughs> so, when I got in my 50s, I was talking to guys from my hometown and one of my college teammates my closest friend in high school who was joking me, he gave his life to God, we were talking about something else, and he said, you know, man, he said, uh, when you first came to middle school, I, uh, I, I, I was like, who's this nerdy dude? Because I didn't wear contacts back then, I wore glasses. And, you know, middle school back then, with glasses, dude, you didn't get, nobody's giving you no love, like, hey, man, them don't like glasses, right? <laughs> no, they was like, four eyes or, you know, something dorky, right? And, So all this time, me and Chuck was best boys. We did almost everything together. And he says, you know, you said, let's go hoop, man. And we went to hoop. And he said, dude, I couldn't believe how good you were. And he said, well, the real reason I was hanging with you was because you was a good baller. (laughs) Now all this time, I'm thinking I was cool. Then this other guy, he's a legend in our hometown. He died last year. He said the same thing. These dudes used to be smoking weed, drinking 40s, and I was like talking like a nerd. Uh, You know, they would call me white boy because I spoke proper English, living in the hood. But I was the guy. I was the hooper. I mean, you can't be top 50 in the country if you couldn't play. But I thought these dudes thought I was cool. Then one of my college teammates was talking to me about the same stuff, and then finally, I had to reconcile the three. I thought I was cool. I thought others thought I was cool. But they didn't think I was cool. So guess what? I'm not really cool, Emma. Because the three don't reconcile. So you know what I did? 50 years old, got honest with myself, looked in the mirror, and said, dude, let's be honest. You're a hybrid. Half jock, half nerd. And you just need to accept it. So I dress cool, but deep down inside, you know why John's got me on the board? Because I'm a nerd. If he if he even thought about doing something squirrely or not kind of not consistent with Christianity, he know the nerd is gonna be like, nah, dude. My friends that struggle sometimes. If they have a moral spiritual dilemma, guess who they call? I'm not super spiritual. I'm a nerd. (laughs) I need other people and you need other people to help you assess where you are in life and where you are spiritually. And that's what authentic relationship, authentic relationship take two things, authentic people and authentic conversations. Socrates said the uninspected life is not worth living. I mean, I wonder how many Americans, their life inspection is what the likes and dislikes they get on social media. Finally, go to the next slide. So we talk about spiritual growth, authentic relationships, and life perspective. Perspective in life is so important. In Matthew 6, it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, unhealthy, bad perspective, your whole body be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Webster's says on perspective, it's the capacity to view things in true relationships or relative importance. Perspective is so important. I went through a divorce, and um, I guess it was finalized in 2010. Caught me off guard. Man, you're talking about salty, angry, depressed. I, I, don't know, I don't know the other words, but it was rough. Because it blindsided me. I just thought, man, if I don't cheat... I'm not abusive. I'm not this, that, or the other. I should be okay, right? Maybe I got to work on some stuff, but I won't ever go through divorce. My kids will never go through that. I'm going through divorce. So now, guess what happens to me? I transition out of ministry. I'm working oil and gas. The oil prices went down in 2009. i don't been working in the industry two years. I was having a hard time finding a job in Houston. So one of the clients we worked for in Tulsa said, I'll give you a job, but you got to move to Tulsa. So I had an apartment in Tulsa, one in Houston, went home every other weekend to see my kids. And I sat in Tulsa by myself. No, no friends, because I didn't know nobody up there, but as I got to know my coworkers, a lot of time to think. So I was like, I met this guy at work. He told me the church he went to. He said, yeah, they got a divorce recovery class. I went not signed up for it. And I sat in there for 10 weeks. And I ain't, I'm telling you now, ain't nothing changed my perspective faster than a divorce recovery class. You know why? So one of the guys said, hey, you know, because it's like I guess some of the addiction meetings, like you have to stay, you know, kind of where you're coming from. Like I guess in them they say, I'm an alcoholic, blah, blah, blah. But in that class, your first introduction is like you tell the scenario of your divorce. So this dude's like, yeah, I was concerned about my wife because she seemed distant. I start seeing emails. Turns out she's emailing somebody. Then I realized she's in an affair. Now, I had none of that stuff. My wife just dumped me, okay? She was mean to me and dumped me. (laughs) And he got to the end of this story, and he said, yeah, she was having an affair. She was involved with the principal at her school. And he's like, oh. And And he goes, yeah, she was a woman. Now, women don't understand that. There's some machismo in all men. They can can live with losing you to another man, but to another woman? And I'm like, I guess my deal ain't that bad after all. (laughs) And then other person after person telling their story. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I'm Pop Warner. These guys are in the NFL. Perspective changed, didn't it? And you know what it helped me to do? I started saying to myself, you know what? What makes my life or my kids or my family so uh, important to God that I couldn't have to suffer some of the difficulties that every, all kinds of people throughout the world and throughout history had to experience where relationships crash and the collateral damage that caused by. It? I'm not an advocate for divorce, but I can tell you right now. I started appreciating everything from like I appreciate that God. I had uh, uh, 18 years of marriage. I appreciated that, man, I have four kids, and I got to live in a house with them continuously for X number of years. I got out of that because what? I was had dark in my eyes, and then I started getting some perspective. I started seeing what was really important. Let's look at this last scripture, and I'm going to wrap it up. Psalm 73, 11 through 20. And this is in the uh, Message Bible. It says, it's it's talking about, did they start verse 11? Yeah, they did. Okay. So they say, how can God know and is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands innocent. How many times you've been living a Christian life and somebody next to you is living crazy and they seem to be getting it right? I can't tell you, during my divorce process, I was thinking about dudes cheating on their wives, their wives forgiving them, and, and, and staying with them, and even trying to be a better wife. And I'm like, I can't even stay married. You start thinking, man, I did it for nothing. For all day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would betray the generation of children. But when I thought to, how, how to understand this, it seemed to be wearisome to me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end, and truly you set them in, a slippery, pl- in slippery places. You make them to the fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment and swept away, utter- swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream that when one awakens, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. And then, the next, it's one more slide. Oh, I put the wrong slide in there. Most important one. It says, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. You know, like going to a funeral starts making you think, man, I'm going to die. Because sometimes we get fooled into believing we ain't going to never die. People we love ain't going to never die. We're going to die. Two things that happen. If you, li- if you live, they say you're going to pay taxes and you're going to die. We're going to die. Ain't no getting around it. If you're in this world today, you're going to die. And it's not like a funeral to give you that perspective. You see that person in that casket or cremated or whatever, however it goes. You got just a picture of them and, and memorializing them. I'm gonna read it to you from the message, brother. It says, "What's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Nobody tending the store? The wicked get, every, get the wicked get by with everything. They've made it, piling up riches. I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has got What has it got me? A long run of bad luck? That's what. A slap in the face every time I walk out the door. If I should given a talking, if I had given in and talked like this, I would have betrayed the." The, your, children, your dear children. Still, when I tried to figure it out, all I got was a splitting headache. You know, sometimes you're just like, dang, I don't get this, God. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to get. You, you, I'm just telling you, you see people all around you and they got this stuff going on, and you say to yourself, man, what about me? Church helps you keep that perspective. Come here. You sing about God. You see people who love God or who at least trying to walk with God and be a Christian. They not all got it together. If they do something stupid, you're going to do something stupid too. But it's the perspective. Don't give up meeting together. it has been the habit of some. It's a habit to come here every week. It's a habit to make it a priority in your life. But I tell you what, you'll grow. I tell you what, you hang in there, you're going to get some real quality relationships. And you'll get some perspective, man. That when all the bombardment of living in Southern California, because I know it's strong, man. I lived here for a year. All the Instagram, all the social media, TikTok, blah, 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 blah. TV, movie, or you don't even have to go to that. You just go to the mall. You go to a restaurant. It's talking to you. Look at them. They're so much better off. They don't love God. Perspective. We all need it, man. I need it. I go to church, man. I volunteer. I give. I'm just trying to be a good Christian. I don't get paid to do it anymore. I just do it, and I, 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 I just believe this. If you will just make one commitment, I'm just going to go to church. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're not going to feel like it, but you make it a priority. You'll find that before you know it, you're going to be growing. Now, you've got to engage yourself. Don't get me wrong, but you're going to be flourishing in the real places that count. You might not have more money. You might not have more significant relationships. You may not. Some of the stuff that you think is important may not happen, but I tell you what, you're going to flourish where it really counts because that's what the Bible says. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. I so appreciate uh, your heart for Pacific Point. I thank you for John and Chris. I pray they have a, a real restful time. Lord, that they would have a great experience lord of rest rejuvenation and and recalibrating, god pray for the church that they would be steady that they would see the importance of them being here and connecting and yes lord we know we can't do it every week but boy we make it a priority god i pray for the leaders lord that they would lead well lord and lord the grace would be on all those who serve lord and every young believer who's just learning and trying to figure this Christianity stuff out, God, that they would grow even in these next six weeks, Lord, that John and Chris would come back and see growth in their lives. Lord. I thank you, Lord. Bless you, God. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, I want to release you now. if You want to stand to your feet and uh, for a communion. Um, I know that there's four communion stations obviously communion is a part of the christian experience part of being here in the service is he gonna do a song first or is he okay all right so i should have had eddie do this but uh i was trying to make life easy on eddie i wasn't trying to avoid having cousin eddie come up to the front again (laughs) but i appreciate you all hey look i want to thank you for coming California, you can do a lot of stuff on Sunday, right? The beach is calling your name right now, Edna, and uh, but come, because I think it's important in your life, and it's important to God as well. So, all right, thanks so much, folks.